Well, good morning, Mercy Fellowship. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for those of you that made it to church, congratulations on being the superior Christian as opposed to those who didn't make it to church this morning. Uh, honor that you would join us this morning, though. A lot of people, you know, you had the opportunity to take the, the week off and honor that you would gather with us uh, this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Curtis, associate pastor here at the church. We are continuing our series in 1 John. Uh, abide. This week we're looking at abide in truth. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, start in verse 18. If not, it'll be on the screen. And I want to start by asking you this. Have you ever been scammed? You don't need to raise your hands. Have you ever been manipulated? Have you ever been deceived? Uh, Ruth and I, when we were newly married, we were not just broke, but we were broke broke. I would have loved it if we were broke, but we were broke, broke. We made probably no more than 40000 our first year of being married. It, it was rough going. And the, the job I had, I was doing construction, and, and it was a favor that a, a guy brought me on to work with his construction company, but he paid me under the table. And a fear that I had as I was working for this company was this. The IRS is going to find me, and they're going to ask of me to pay them back a bunch of money that I don't have. And, well, lo and behold, one day... I got a phone call from the IRS, and they said I had an outstanding balance of $20,000. Mind you, Ruth and I only have made probably around $40,000 that year, if that. And I was just filled with terror and, and shame and worry and anxiety, and, and all the plans that Ruth and I had for the future and the goals we were setting are just kind of crushed, and they said they would accept an initial deposit of $500. And I gave them that $500, and lo and behold, it was a scam. I got scammed $500. The shame I felt from being scammed and the, the anger I had and the vengeance I had uh, from what happened. Now, church, by and large, it was not a life-giving experience. It didn't bring me joy getting scammed. Have you ever been scammed? Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever been manipulated? Uh, if, we, if we take this word scam or these other words I'm using and we just kind of blow it up to the broader sense of what the word means, what it means is this, it's a, it's a lie. It's not the truth. And what we know is this, lies, they bring about chaos, not order. Lies, they bring about pain and destruction, not healing and construction. Lies ultimately bring about death, not life. So what we're going to do today is we're hopping into 1 John chapter 2. We're talking about abiding in the truth. And just let me set the context for you that we're going to be in today. The Apostle John, he's an older man. He's more like a grandpa at this point. He's, he's lived life. He's seen things. He opens up actually this epistle by saying, this Jesus I'm talking to, to you about, I've seen him. I've touched him. My eyes have laid witness to his life. And he's talking about this Jesus to us. And he's talking to churches that are roughly newer Christians. That's why he's going to refer to them as little children. And these churches, they've been through the ringer. They've been scammed. They've been lied to. These churches, they've had false apostles coming to their churches, telling them different things about Jesus that aren't from the Bible, that aren't from John's eyewitness account. These are false apostles. They're asking for money so they can continue on on their, quote, mission. They're scamming these people. On top of getting hit by that front, you also have people who are hurt by this, um, obviously. 
And the result for them is this, that, that they have family and friends and loved ones that are leaving the faith. I don't know if I can trust Jesus anymore. I don't know if I can be a part of the church who's getting hit in this front anymore. They're living in uncertain times, and they're uncertain about what it means to be a Christian. Mercy Fellowship, we live in uncertain times like these, don't we? Everyone's got an opinion on who Jesus is, which one is right. You know, it's kind of the same phrase, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Which one's right? Which one's true? How do we know what is true? There's confusion about what is. So what is the Apostle John going to say to us today? It's going to be on the screen. You go ahead and take a look. It's a large section, and we'll break it out. He says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. There's a lot in those uh, scripture that we just read. Three things we're going to point out, we'll look at today. One, the Antichrist. Two, Jesus is God and man. And three, the Holy Spirit. That word Antichrist, when you think of the word Antichrist, what images come up to your mind? What do you think of when you think of the word Antichrist? I did a Google search because I wanted to see what people thought of the word Antichrist, and it was pretty funny because I typed in Antichrist on Google Pictures, and it's mostly just politicians that are on the Google search page. I don't think it's even entirely wrong either, so it's, that was pretty funny. But on that search, though, that I did, though, is obviously there's people like Joe Biden, there was people like Donald Trump. I thought that was interesting because a lot of people think about Donald Trump as a savior. So if someone went ahead and labeled him as an antichrist, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Obama was on there as well. I grew up in Snohomish, and on 2nd Street when I was growing up and in high school, there was a guy there with a booth with a picture of Obama, and he had an Adolf Hitler mustache on Obama. And underneath it, it said, is Obama the antichrist? Right? This is crazy. Also on the Google search, Tim Tebow was on there. So you do with that what you will. Right? What is the Antichrist? What images do you have when you think of the Antichrist? Just so you know, the church has struggled throughout her history to define this and understand this. It's not just us. In the first century, the church thought that the Antichrist was going to be a Jew because the Jews were persecuting the church really heavily in the first century. Second and third century rolls around, and the, the Christians in the church, they believed that the emperor 
the Roman Emperor Nero was the Antichrist. Now, I hold to that position. I'll tell you why in a second. But he mercilessly, brutally martyred and attacked and murdered the Christians and tried to destroy the church during that time. You fast forward all the way to the 1500s, and the Reformation takes place, and you have people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, you have Zwingli, these other great reformers, and they thought that separating from the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope was the Antichrist. Some of you in this room, you probably hold to that position today still, that the Pope is going to be the Antichrist. The reason you do goes all the way back to the Reformation. A lot of different views. Like I said, the one I hold to is that I believe that Nero in the 2nd and 3rd century was the Antichrist. The reason for it is I believe uh, the Apostle John is referring to someone specifically. I don't think they're waiting for someone thousands of years down the road. On top of that, I think there's good evidence with scholarship as well as the Apostle Paul who talks about this man of lawlessness that's going to be raised up in Second Thessalonians that would go ahead and tell me, hey, I think it's someone who's going to be more recent, not farther down the road. Now, church, am I right? I think I am. But it's something that I hold with an open hand. What is true for us, though, church, when we're talking about the word antichrist and the application for us here at church, what is true is this. There's always going to be political beasts and antichrists who seek to oppose the truth and destroy the church. And it is the job of every Christian here to be on guard for such people. Now, how do we stay on guard for such things? How do we overcome such things? We do so by abiding in the truth. So the Apostle John, he says this, yeah, there's an Antichrist, but you've also already had Antichrists in your midst. And so what are these Antichrists marked by? He says they're marked by this. They're liars. They're not of the truth. They deceive you. They scam you. They deny that Jesus, and they're actively seeking to destroy Jesus and his followers. It's interesting how news kind of just lines up with our preaching calendar, and we, we don't even plan for this stuff to happen, but, but uh, it actually does. I thought that was a really well-dressed homeless person walking by, and I was like, that's not right. Uh, he goes to our church, actually. Anyways, getting sidetracked. Um, yeah, it's interesting, though. We plan our, our preaching schedule about six months in advance, and how it lines up with just current events and affairs uh, is really remarkable. You had this week... Uh, the, the article that came out with a, a, the, a drag queen group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Did you hear about this? So the L.A. Dodgers, a baseball team, they invited a drag group to come to celebrate a pride night after a baseball game. And this is a group who openly mocks Christians. They openly mock nuns. And so they received so much backlash as an organization that they uninvited them. And then a few days later, they re-invited them, and the L.A. Dodgers put out a statement that said that this group is doing life-saving work in the community, and they are a blessing. Now, if you look at this group online, what you'll see is this. They will literally have shows where they strap an almost naked man onto a cross, and then they have an effeminate man who will go ahead and dance on the person on the cross like a stripper. What is that? That's an antichrist. Uh, they are opposed to Jesus, they are opposed to the church, they are opposed to his people. The other story you had that came up was the one in Target. Target, they had a designer create a bunch of clothes for uh, Pride Month coming up. 
Uh, but the reason they received backlash is because they created clothes that were towards kids being transgender. And so they received a lot of backlash, and, and some stores pulled clothes, other stores just pushed them back. But beyond that, though, the, the artist, he actually has an Etsy shop. And on his Etsy shop, they didn't sell it at Target, but on his Etsy shop, he has a pin that says, Satan respects pronouns. And he received so much backlash from that that he ended up writing this huge, long uh, um, uh, post on Instagram, and he says this. He says, for me, Satan is hope. Satan is compassion. Satan is equality and love. So naturally, Satan respects pronouns. What is that? That's an antichrist. They're not for Jesus. They're not for Christians. They're not for the flourishing of society. They're not for what's true. Now, some of you might hear what I'm saying. You'll say, Curtis, you're going too far. You're stepping beyond the boundaries of what you should be talking about. I think they're stepping beyond the boundaries of what they're supposed to be doing, one. But two, let me defend myself. I am not saying that everything that's bad in the world is an antichrist. I am not saying that. The Apostle John is not even saying that as well, that everything bad in the world is an antichrist. However, are we really going to say that nobody's against Christians? No one's actively against the truth? I won't swing the pendulum to the other side and say that there's nothing that's against Christianity or the church. Church, the, the, the truth is so valuable and so life-giving that it is worth fighting for. You with me on this? The truth is worth fighting for. And you know this to be true. Your, your marriage is worth fighting for. Your children and grandchildren, they are worth fighting for. The truth is worth fighting for. Like I already said, our Lord Jesus, who died on the cross and shed his blood for us, he is worth fighting for. There are things that are worth sticking your neck out and having some confrontation about. The truth is worth fighting for. You need to think about this. They didn't crucify Jesus because he was too nice. They didn't crucify Jesus because he just got along with everyone. Why did they crucify Jesus? They crucified him because he spoke the truth. They crucified him because he was committed to the truth. Uh, there's, there's a man named Alexander Scholzenitsyn, Pretty sure I butchered his name, but I tried my best. Uh, and he lived in the 18 and 1900s in Russia during communism. He lived also, he was in the gulags there as well. They were basically concentration camps, although they had some differences, obviously, from concentration camps. And he ended up writing a lot, and he was a critic of communism, and he had books that came out in light of his experience. And he said this, One man who stopped lying could bring down a tyranny. Just one. Just one person who would not even tell the truth, just stop lying, could bring down an entire structure of lies and oppression and evil. So how do we overcome antichrists in our day? We don't overcome antichrists in our day by, by taking on brute force, taking up arms. That's not how Christians act or behave. How we overcome Antichrist in our day, the Apostle John says, is this, by confessing the Son. He says this, verse 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The Apostle John, he's dealing with two heresies in the church at that time that he's wrestling with. And the first heresy is this, and it's still common in our day. Jesus was just a moral teacher and nothing else. And so you have false apostles that are coming into his churches and are saying that. We even have churches, church, in our day that don't believe that Jesus was God. They just believe that he was a good moral teacher and that you should do your best to try and live a moral life in light of his teachings. Now, if we're going to be people who love the truth, who believe the truth, who believe God's word, then we would reject that wholeheartedly. We would call that heresy. And the reason we do is because, once again, this author, John, he wrote a book, the Gospel of John, and he says in the very beginning of that, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's he saying here? Jesus is, is God. Not only was he with God the Father, he is there from the beginning. He is God. The church, like I said, throughout history, they've struggled with facing a lot of antichrists that have come and, and brought lies into the church. And so the church has gatherings and they create creeds to kind of help concrete and solidify doctrines of the church. And they did this in the 4th century with the Nicene Creed. They said this. It'll be on the screen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. So we would reject that first heresy that John is dealing with and addressing in his church. That, that he's just a good moral teacher. We'll talk about why that applies to your life in a second. Second heresy that he was dealing with, though, was the heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this, that, hey, the spiritual and the divine, that's really good. But the physical and your body, that's really bad. So they believe this about Jesus. They believe that Jesus was a mere human, and then when he got baptized, he took on divinity at that point. And right before he got crucified, divinity left him, so that his divinity never had to face any suffering or pain. We don't believe this either. Once again, we just read it in, in John 1, 1. We believe that Jesus, who took on flesh, is actually God. And he wasn't just God for a short time. So why is this important, church? How does this apply to your life and mine? It applies in this way. If Jesus is only divine, meaning he was God for a short time, but the times he suffered, he wasn't, we don't have a God who can relate to us in our human experience. You tracking with me on this? We don't have a God who can relate to us or knows us. If Jesus is only God, he's, he's cold, he's sterile, he's not personable. And a question that we would have to wrestle with if we actually took that position is this. Can we actually know that God? Or are we left just to search and search and search for that God? But the other side is wrong as well. If Jesus is only human, what makes him better than any other human here on earth? Yeah, sure, church, this Jesus, he might know you. Can he save you? Can he redeem your life? Can he save you from the addictions and the struggles that you face? Can he save us from the lies of the Antichrist? 
We believe that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Not a split, not 50-50, not 80-20. No, he was fully God and took on flesh, fully man, and was able to experience the human life that you and I experience. You know the saying, misery loves company? You guys know this saying? That's true, isn't it? Why is it that people who have fought in war, when they come back, they, don't re- they have, find a hard time relating to a- uh, regular citizens? But when they find someone else who fought in war as well, they have a connection and a bond that you and I are not a part of. Why? Well, because they share that same language, that same shared experience of suffering. Uh, that, that goes the same for you as well, church. Those of you that have faced physical abuse, those of you that have faced sexual abuse, when you meet other survivors as well for you, you guys have a bond in a way that other people who haven't experienced that know. So what are we saying? We're saying this. We believe we have a God who suffered. Prophet Isaiah, he calls Jesus a man of sorrows, one who's acquainted with grief. Jesus, he suffered. He knows your experience of suffering. He suffered when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He suffered when he was abandoned and betrayed by his friends and family. He suffered when he was wrongly tried and and, and deceived and manipulated and, and put on a cross. This Jesus, this God knows our suffering. And the writer of Hebrews will go on to say, because Jesus has been tempted and suffered in every way that you and I have, and yet is without sin, the result of that is this. He's merciful and compassionate towards you in your suffering. He knows your experience. He can sympathize with you in your suffering. Some of you here today, you are currently suffering. You're going through hard times. And you need to know this, that God has not abandoned you, but he's with you. He knows you. He knows your struggle. This is why uh, the Apostle Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, he said, hey, praise be to the God of comfort who comforts us in our affliction. We believe in a God who has suffered. So Jesus is fully man, but he's fully God. And this means this, you can know who God is. This God who who knows you, who knows your experience, you in turn can know him. This is what John's saying. He's saying, if you deny the Son, you're denying the Father. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And that if you are to deny Jesus, you are denying God himself. Furthermore, something we don't talk about is Reformed uh, people and Reformed churches and charismatic brothers and sisters, they do a better job of than this. We really believe in a God who can help break the chains of bondage and the powers that are against us. We don't do a good job of that, but, but this is a reality for us. If he is God, that he could save us from the sins that enslave us in our life. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite preachers in the 18th, uh, 1800s, Uh, absolute dog when it came to preaching and being a pastor. He says this, Jesus does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. So let me ask you this, Mercy Fellowship. Do you know of this God? I'm not asking do you know about him, rather do you know him? Do you know him? It's it's funny to assume that if you're coming to church, you know who God is. 
But I, I want to ask you this, a little step further. Do you have a relationship with him? Is your relationship with Jesus as real as the relationships you have with other people in your life? Is another way of putting it. Jesus is not only the Son of Man who can feel and know and sympathize and understand, but he's also the Son of God as well, mighty to save and restore your life and this world and to save us from the lies of the Antichrists that seek to destroy us. So how do we overcome the Antichrist in our day? By the truth. By abiding in the truth. By, by faith in Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. And when we've placed our faith in God, what ends up happening is this. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in the truth. This is a work, church, that John is showing us that the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are at work in your life. And you might not even know it. You might not even feel it. But, but the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all at work in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, for your salvation, for your healing, for your redemption. How so? Well, the Son, what has He done? He is saving you and has saved you from your sins. It says that the Father, the Father has loved you before the foundation of the earth. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? Well, the Holy Spirit is empowering you with a life of wisdom and joy empowering you to abide in the truth so that you're not led astray. We already read it, but let's go ahead and look back. Verse 20, he says this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And verses 26 and 27, jumping ahead. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We see this word anointing brought up three times throughout the section of scripture we were looking at. This is a word that gets really butchered by Pentecostal Christians. And they're better at us in a lot of other things, and in other ways we're better at them. That's just how the church works. Uh, but they butcher this word even though it's a, it's a biblical word. We can use it, church. I went to college, um, uh, I went to a community college in Bothell, and in one of my English classes, I had a, a friend who was, uh, went to a Pentecostal church, and he showed up one Monday morning, and he's like, yeah, I was asking him how his weekend was, and he said, yeah, I preached this Sunday, and I said, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you were preaching, or you were a pastor, or, or that you even wanted to, that's great. He's like, I'm not. He said, I showed up to church on Sunday morning, and they told me, hey, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach this Sunday. You've got 20 minutes, here's the Bible, go get ready, right? Does that not just fill you with anxiety, right? You show up and I say, hey, you know, here's the Bible, go for it, you've got 20 minutes, get ready, you're anointed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we call that drunk driving. That is not of the Holy Spirit, all right? So, so what's being communicated here when we're talking about the word anointing? What's being communicated is this Old Testament idea, whether it be prophets or priests or kings, uh, how they would be inducted into office. How they would be inducted into office was this. They would be consecrated, set apart by oil being poured over them. And this was meant to be a symbol that they were anointed and empowered for the task and the role that they have going forward. 
So how does that apply to us as followers of Jesus? Well, the Apostle John, using the same language, he's saying this, because of your faith in Jesus, you are empowered, you are anointed, you are covered by the Holy Spirit and are able to stand against the Antichrist that arise in the schemes that seek to deceive you. And he says, you are anointed so much so that you have no need that anyone should teach you. What does that mean? No need that anyone should teach you. It's kind of funny, right? The Apostle John is teaching to them that they have no need that anyone should teach them. So what's he saying in this section? He's saying this, you have no need for anyone outside the church to come in and tell you who Jesus is if they're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. Another way of helping us understand it, the Apostle Paul says it in just different words. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. Here's what he's saying. People who aren't Christians, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And because they don't have the Holy Spirit, don't be inviting those people in to the pulpit on Sunday morning to tell you about who Jesus is. Right? I, one of the books on my shelf is a book from Frederick Nietzsche. He was a, a, an atheist, a, a philosopher, and one of his books that I have is called The Antichrist. And it's a criticism of Christianity. There's a lot of good in there. There's a lot that's wrong, I believe. That will never be part of the curriculum of Mercy Fellowship. You understand? We're never going to invite the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to come in here and tell us who Jesus is. You with me? The, the people who are here that are going to teach us and lead us and guide us are going to be people who are, are, have faith in Jesus and are empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell us who he is and all that he's done for us. So Mercy Fellowship, we have antichrists that will arise in our day. They already have. There's going to be more. And how we overcome them, John says, is by confessing the Son and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to discern what is true and what is a lie. How does this apply to our life? How does this apply to our lives today? Well, this is what the Apostle John says, verses 28 and 29. He says this, closing out this section. But the, um, and now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Our application for this, and when it comes to the truth, is this. Abide in him. Abide in the truth. Don't depart from him or his teachings. Last two weeks, my company has had me uh, watch a bunch of OSHA safety training videos. I've clocked in more than 40 hours of OSHA training videos. There's nothing more mind-numbing than watching OSHA training videos. Uh, it's, really, it's really a boring thing. And so what they do, though, is this. In a span of about 40 hours, 40-plus 40 hours, they'll just have a few things, five or six things, and they just play them on loop over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to where at the very end of it, you know it so well that you're passing all the tests and you have all this information that you really don't need for your job. And uh, when it comes to something like this, how did I learn this? I learned this because I was abiding in it. 
I was remaining in it. I was committed to it. I learned this stuff in this teaching by abiding. So we'll, we'll conclude, church, but I want to ask you this. Do you have any moments throughout your week to abide in Christ? Do you have any moments to abide in the truth? To pray, to read your word, to read God's word, to, to, to gather with the saints outside of a Sunday morning gathering. I want to conclude with this. The Apostle Paul, he had two groups that were antagonistic towards him in his ministry because he believed the truth so much. Uh, he had one group when he was in Philippi, and, and these are people that were, it says, preaching Christ out of selfish gain. And the Apostle Paul's reply to these people who were antagonistic towards him, he says this, Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In that I rejoice. He doesn't care too much about this group. There's another group that was antagonistic towards him, and he really didn't like them. They were the Judaizers. And they were seeking to, to mix the gospel with Jewish law. They were seeking to deceive people, to scam people. They were seeking to, to mix the truth with lies. And the Apostle Paul, he says this about them. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one I received, let him be accursed. Other translations, let him be damned. What's the difference with these groups? One is true, one is a lie. One is religion, one is the gospel. The, the Judaizers, they would have made the nations so moral, so upright, and the Apostle Paul would have none of it. Why? Because the truth matters. Because the truth is worth fighting for. What is the truth that Paul was fighting for? What is the truth, Mercy Fellowship, that you and I should be fighting for? And it is this. It is an announcement of what Jesus has done for us. There's going to be antichrists who arise in our days. There's going to be religions who want to seek to enslave us. And all of these groups, what they all have in common is this. You need to live this way. And if you live this way, then you'll be righteous. You'll be right. Christianity is not that. Christianity is an announcement of what Jesus has already done for us. He has died to save us from our sins and in the enslavement of the antichrists of our day. Jesus so believes in the power of the truth that he says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mercy Fellowship, what are you enslaved to today? What antichrists are pulling you away, telling you how to live? What lies are you believing? If I, if I live this way, if I behave this way, if I do this, if I do that, then I will be truly human. Then I will have life. Then I will have freedom. Rather than trusting in their words, trust in God's word. Repent. Trust in the finished work of Jesus by his death, his burial, and his resurrection for you. Let's pray.